Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. everybody, and welcome back to Tales of the Justice Society of America. My name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Diet Dr. Pepper. He tastes just like regular Dr. Pepper, but his diet... Good luck with that one! <laughs> Sorry, doing that commercial. I shouldn't. I don't know, dude. Uh, people are going to wonder how you know what I taste like, and that's just creepy beyond words <laughs> right there. It's okay to love your co-host. It's not okay to love your co-host. Unless they're hot like me. Yeah, your milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Damn right. <laughs> it's better than yours. <laughs> you know, you would teach me, but you'd have to charge. So. That's ten times a fucked up right there. <laughs> oh my god, this one's off to a weird, weird place already. And we're, what, like 30 fucking seconds into the show. Yes. Oh my god, I'm done. Thank you, good night. <laughs> You're done. Stick a fork in you. Yep, that's it. I've had enough already. Oh, my goodness. Oh, what do we got? We got all kinds of shit to cover in this episode. Right off the yes. bat, I want to say congratulations to Jose Rivera. He is our contest winner. I bet you guys forgot we had a contest going on, right? Because we hadn't really said shit about it in quite a while. But we actually had a contest going on, which was tell us what our theme music was. You hear that music playing behind me right now? Yeah, that music. What is it from? We had a contest going on to name it. Jose was the very first one to name it. He got it correctly. And for that, I'm sending him a box full of All-Star Squadron issues. Yeah, a whole big old bunch of them. So enjoy those, Jose. And the answer is... This was the theme to the... uh, What would you call it? My unreleased, seldom seen... Legged like crazy. Yes, um, it was. It was. A, it was a movie made so that they could retain the copyright. Right. To the uh, what was his name? I want to say Harvey Corman. I know that's Roger Corman. Roger Corman. That's it. Roger Corman. Fantastic Four movie. The uh, what year was that? It's like ninety. They started making in ninety three, oh. uh, and it was supposed to come out in ninety four. Because Wizard was covering it really hot and heavy around 93, 94. And then it never came out. And I remember seeing bootlegs of it as early as a Star Trek convention I went to in 95. Mm -hmm. So that thing got out quick. Now, you know, if you've never seen it, you've probably at least heard about it. There's all kinds of... Everybody has an opinion on this movie. I, I saw it. I don't think it's as absolutely horrible as everybody says it to be. Is it great? No. No. But it has its moments. It, it actually, there's some part, parts of that movie that I like better than the big-budget theatrical Fantastic Four movie that came out just a few years ago. And I really like that movie, too. 
But one of the things that struck me right from my very first viewing of this version of Fantastic Four was the score. I always thought that it had a really good score, and I love the theme, you know, the the main theme, the one we use for the show. So when we came up with this show and, and we were both trying to think of what would be really good theme music for the show and we kind of struggled with it and we had several really good ideas I thought um, this was one I just kept coming back to and I was hesitant to, to even mention it to Michael at first because I kept thinking it's Fantastic Four it's got not, nothing to, at all to do with JSA you know. and I thought for one thing I was worried that people might recognize it and think exactly that or even call us on it and go dudes what are you what the hell are you using a fantastic four theme for the JSA for but eventually we we both liked it so much we just went with it because you know our, our thought was this is just too great a piece of music for people not to hear it you know yeah and- I- we originally were going to use the Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow piece. And I, and I really fell in love with that one. I really did. Me too. And then you're like, well, how about this one? And you sent me the file, and it said Fantastic Four theme. I'm like, what, what is this? And I clicked on it, and I started flipping out when I heard it, because I absolutely loved that theme. So. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really beautiful. It's just a beautiful piece of music. And uh, and I figured, you know, the, the biggest thing was I, I think it's a great piece of music. It's obviously written for something, you know, superhero-esque, something very big, something very majestic. And it's obviously it's, written by somebody that really likes John Williams. Yes. <laughs> because because there's a there's a piano piece during the end credits that should be playing right about now. Mm-hmm that I really like, but then I went back and listened to the piano piece that's the start of the Welcome to Jurassic Park track from the Jurassic Park score, and I'm like, Jesus Christ, can you at least try to hide that you're ripping them off? (laughs) So... Uh, I still love it, though. Oh, yeah, it's it's not bad. Don't know. Not not saying that at all, trust me. So anyway, the cat's out of the bag. There you go. That's that's what the piece of music is, and uh, and we will have further contests coming along down the pike as as we dream them up. So stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, congratulations, Jose. And uh, on the subject of listeners, I just want to give a little uh, a little listener love, a little a little listener appreciation. Because I know that we have a lot of our listeners that are actually following along with us. Whether you're rediscovering this, you know, you've, you've got the issues, you've read the issues as a kid or when you were younger or whatever. And this is kind of reigniting your, your love for these characters and for this world. Or, you know, like a lot of our listeners, if you're discovering this material for the first time, and you're going out and hunting the back issues or hunting the trades or whatever, I just want to say I, I think that's so awesome. That really makes me feel good. You know, I think that's the ultimate tribute to us as podcasters that you care enough about what we're talking about and, and our um, enthusiasm and passion for this material is so contagious that you guys feel the need to go out there and track it down to follow along. I just can't think of a, of a nicer tribute. And I've just, there's been so many people that have said that to us 
that they're following along or that they're discovering this and they think it's so cool. I, I just I, I can't tell you the feeling I get from that. It's really really awesome, and yes, I just wanted to say thanks and that I really appreciate it. I th- I just think that's totally cool. I really do. I think it's that's really neat. Ditto. <laughs> Lastly, um, and I don't know, maybe this is the wrong venue for this, but I just I, I was in a bit of a braggy mood, so I thought I would mention this real quick. I had a minor score out the flea market today. You know, we've been talking a lot about. I told Joe's- you to stay away from those hookers. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, we've been talking quite a little bit about. Um, Joe Staten here on the show, you know, because he's done most of the uh, the penciling, or you know, the the most recent penciling on uh, the issues that we've been going over for the the past few weeks on this show, and it put me in mind of Staten and some of his other projects. And I remember seeing there's a guy that's uh, been out to the local local flea market now for the past few months, and I remember him having a whole bunch of. Uh, uh, you know, just different odds and ends titles. And one of the things I thought I had seen out there the last time I was there was some some Green Lantern core. Now, this is the one from the late 80s, you know, after mm-hmm. Green Lantern turned into Green Lantern core and you had all the Green Lanterns on Earth and everything. And Staten did a lot of issues of that series. I think he did the bulk of it. I remember that guy had a bunch of them, and I thought, well, what are the chances that he's still out there and he might still have those issues? So I'm back out there today, and sure enough, he still had them, and I, I nabbed uh, several issues of that. So I'm, I'm working on trying to complete a collection of that, but I just thought that was really cool, and I thought I'd throw it out there real quick. That uh, Man, just I love the state and stuff, and uh, one of the issues I got was uh, Green Lantern 147. I just love the cover on this, just classic Joe Staten, him fighting a bunch of uh, prisoners breaking out, and you got a black hand on the cover saying, you're nothing without your ring, Green Lantern. It looks like they're going to snuff him out. It's cool. And then everything else is Green Lantern core issues. A couple of the lighter ones done by uh, done by Gil Kane. Some nice, uh, nice Kane uh, stuff. No. No, it is. It's pretty cool. Also okay. nabbed uh, Wrath of the Spectre number one just because it's – I'm not typically much for reprints, but uh, some of this Jim Aparo Spectre stuff from Adventure can be a little bit tough to track down, and I just love the art in this, so I, I grabbed that one as well. Sweet. But anyway, that's enough about me bragging about comics that I nabbed today, but I just thought that was something to throw out there. Another thing to throw out there real quick before we get into anything else – um, an episode or two ago, we started talking about some of the other peripheral stuff with, uh, you know, pertaining to the JSA that uh, had been coming out while we were doing our uh, Elsewhere in the DC Universe sections. And uh, I dug out DC Special Series Volume 2, Number 10. Now, if you look at the cover of this, it doesn't say any of that. It says, Secret Origins of Superheroes. And it says, revealed at last, the untold mysteries of Dr. Fate, the strange genesis of Light Ray, and the training of Black Canary. It's all in a uh, beautiful uh, Garcia Lopez cover. A lot of purples on this cover. That's what the cover says, but the the actual indicia title of the book is DC Special Series number 10. But uh, why this pertains to the JSA was, of course, it has the, uh, the Dr fate story in it. and also black canary pertains to uh the justice society as well so i dug this out it had been 
I, God only knows how many years since I had read this. And I got a kick out of it because, for one thing, it's not much of an origin story for Dr. Fate. What this really is, and I got the biggest kick out of this, was, you know, a while back I was kind of jokingly, kind of half-jokingly, really, making fun of Enza Nelson because all she seems to do is sit around and bitch and complain and cry because her husband is gone all the time and leaves her in that creepy tower all by herself. Yes. That's exactly what this is. It's like, oh, let me see how many pages is this story. This story is eight pages of Enza Nelson sitting around in Dr. Fate's tower bitching and whining and crying because her husband is off fighting the forces of chaos. It's, oh, I'm serious. That's all it is. So she recounts in her mind while she's sitting here crying. She's literally crying through this whole story. She's recounts the, the origin of Dr. Fate. Now, the story itself, no offense to Paul Levitz, who is the writer on this, I, just, I didn't like it. But the reason I didn't like it has nothing to do with Paul Levitz. It has to do with the fact, I guess I never really realized it before, Dr. Fate has one freaky-ass weird origin story. Yes. He and his dad. Now, Dr. Fate, was. He, it says he's 12 years old. Now, this kid is not a day older than seven years old, I swear to God. He's, he's drawn really, really, really young. But it says he's 12. He's on an expedition with his dad, Sven, who's an archaeologist. And they're doing the Indiana Jones thing when young Kent Nelson opens the tomb of Naboo. And Naboo is inside. He's been suspended there for millennia. And this gas pours out. It doesn't affect Kent, but it kills his father. And Nabu takes the boy and manipulates him through magic and ages him into the adult Dr. Fate. So basically, he skips from being 12 years old to being an adult. Nabu trains him, teaches him how to fly, teaches him the ways of magic and everything. Eventually convinces... Kent to zap him with his own magic so that he frees Naboo from the mortal shell that he's been entrapped in and just takes him on this really weird odyssey thing, eventually gets him to swear his loyalty to Naboo and be the host, basically to be the next human body for the power of Naboo to, to inhabit him and become Dr. Fate. Realizing, and he even says at the end of the story, and fate flew away without ever thinking that would be his uh, only reward for centuries of sacrifice as well, because Naboo, at the end of this story, crumbles to dust. And, wow, did I have some fucking problems with this. For one thing, at what point is Dr. Fate going to wake the fuck up and realize that Naboo killed his dad? He killed him. He purposely killed him. It wasn't even like an accident that oh, gee, I didn't know that gas would kill your old man. I mean, it comes out in the course of the story that he knew that this was going to happen. This was all one of those predestination paradox type of things. And, now, you know, Kent doesn't ever seem to have a problem with this. He, he's trained by Naboo and, and eventually assumes that mantle. And I, I'm just wondering, I'm not the biggest Dr. Fate fan. I'm not terribly versed on the character. So I would love it if somebody would write in and let us know, has there ever been a story where Kent Nelson 
thought about his dad and thought about, geez, that's fucked up. He killed my father. Because I'm not aware of it, if, if there is one. And if there's not, there needs to be one. Because that's just wrong. <laughs> but uh, beautifully, even though I didn't like it all that much, beautifully, beautifully drawn by Joe Staten and inked by Mike Nasser, who's a hell of an artist, you know, a uh, penciler in his own right. So it's kind of neat to see him actually inking uh, Staten here. And while they have two very dissimilar art styles, man, does it mesh well. It's really nice. I mean, really, really nice artwork in this. So this issue's worth it just for the art alone. I didn't reread the... Uh, Light Ray story, because honestly, I could give a rat's ass about Light Ray. However, <laughs> the art is beautiful. It's by uh, Don uh, Don Newton, who, again, one of those uh, favorite unsung artists of mine. Uh, really, really nice artwork in that. And then lastly was a um, the origin of Black Canary, which I'm really just... I, I, I'm going to give you the bare bones on this. She was trained by her dad, who was a police officer, to be the best of the best of the best, you know, to, to overcome being a female and be a part of the police force and all that. And she does, and she falls in love with a fellow police officer. They get married. He gets killed. She's so distraught that she leaves Earth to her home to go to Earth 1 to try to get over him. That's pretty much the story. And uh, it wasn't bad or anything. It's just she's one of those characters on the periphery for me. I mean, I'm, I don't... I neither like her nor dislike her. She's just kind of there, and I never really thought she was all that much, really. But uh, written by Jerry Conway, it was a pretty good story, and penciled by Mike Vosberg with inks by Terry Austin. So the art, Sweet. yeah, yeah, the art's really, really nice. Because I like my, Mike Vosberg a lot, but he's one of those guys that's kind of on the fence for me because if he's not properly inked, then his his art style doesn't come out very well. Which I guess you could say is true for any artist, but there's some artists that can overcome that, that they're such great pencilers that even if the inker sucks, they still look good. Mike Vosberg, I don't know that he is, and that's not really a knock against him. It's just I've seen his stuff not look very good before, but Terry Austin inking him? Man, this this is nice. Really, really pretty art in this. And I like that it's, it's totally a period piece, so it looks really, really cool. And... Uh, so yeah, that was uh, DC special series number ten. Alrighty, awesome. <laughs> now I know that I can skip it. Yes, because <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it sounds about as annoying as that immortal Doctor Fate miniseries that reprinted the Flash backups uh, from the mid '80s that I really didn't care for at all. Is that Keith Giffen? Um. It was Marty Pasco. Was it Keith Giffen? It might have been Keith Giffen. I, I I think I know the one you're talking about. And I guess I never realized that that if it's if we're thinking of the same one, I guess I never realized that there was that in like '84. It was when DC was reprinting a bunch of stuff in special. There's like the Wrath of the Spectre, and you know the Shadow of the Batman, which reprints the Marshall Rogers Englehart Detective run. There's the New Gods one that reprints the Jack Kirby New Gods series. There was a Green Arrow, Green Lantern one. These are just very high-end reprints. And they did one for, it was called The Immortal Doctor Fate. Now, there was a Doctor Fate miniseries after the crisis that Keith Giffen did. 
I think that's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, the early yeah the earlier one. Now that I think about, it, I think it may have had Simonson covers on it. Now that I'm thinking, of, I I don't. I, it's been such a long time since I've looked at all that. I can't. I honestly can't remember anymore. Yeah, I recently reorganized my collection, so all my JSA books are all together. So I have all the uh, Doctor Fate because you know I have a full run of that. You know, De, De Mateus, Sean McManus, Doctor Fate series. I've got the Spectre. I think I'm missing one issue of the John Ostrander Spectre series, and it's been it's been a the bane of my existence since. <laughs> so, you're sure that other one was called the Immortal Doctor Fate? Immortal Doctor Fate, January 1985 to March of 1985. It's a three issue series. Who did the covers on that? Does it say Walt Simonson? Okay, that's the one I was thinking. For some reason, I do not own that anymore. I must have gotten rid of it at some point, and I wonder if I got rid of it because it was reprints, and like you say, it was reprints of that Flash stuff, which I think I own all of now. I bought it to have something interesting. I like those. I, I really need to pick up the Wrath of a Spectre one because it, it reprints the Fleischer Aparo Spectre stories, and I've never read any of those, and I want to. So, there you go. God, this is right <laughs> before the crisis. We ready for emails? We are ready for emails. We got some awesome ones to cover. Um, we got one right off the bat by Thomas, is it Mattis? It's Mattis, Mattis right? yes. Thomas Mattis, I love this one. The title is, My Episode 13 Fan Mail, and yes, I have a bone to pick with Mike and Scott. And I was like, oh shit, not again. And the, the body of his email reads, So, how about Power Girl's boobs in that hostess hat? <laughs> and that's it. <laughs> so, how about Power Girl's boobs? They're, They're nice. Awesome. Yeah. Unless, like, Kryptonians don't have nipples, in which case it's like looking at a well-endowed mannequin. But, you know, what? whatever. That would suck. She's an alien. She's probably got like three on each boob or something. Oh, wow. Oh, oh, it's like that scene from Mallrats. Jesus. Um, <laughs> All righty. The next one is from another one from Stan Johnson. She's probably got like a whole nother person on her boobs, like like uh, like in Total Recall. You get her shirt off and it's like, Quaid, start the reactor. <laughs> I had just about watched that movie from my mind. <laughs> oh, that's a great movie. What's wrong with you, dude? You have what you want. Give these people that. Ah. <laughs> what did he just say? <laughs> Damn you, Paul Verhoeven. You oh, I love up. that movie. Oh, come on, dude. You're wrong. That movie's cool. Anyways, getting back to Stan Johnson so we don't get off, <laughs> off track again. Um, Stan Johnson, the subject is will work for back issues. says, guys, just a few comments on the, of the past couple of episodes of Tales of the JSA. Before listening to episode 14, I could proudly count myself among those people who had never watched an episode of Smallville. My streak is now ended, however, because after listening to you talk about the JSA's appearance on the show, I was forced to watch that episode of Smallville to check things out for myself. We won't discuss how I got the episode, okay? (laughs) 
Anyways, it was indeed an awesome to see the JSA in full living HD on my TV screen. Dr. Fate looked incredible, and the painting of the group was also eye-catching. I agree about Hawkman's voice having a little too much gravel in it, and those wings were hideous. I would rather have seen no wings at all than those things. They look like they had been taken off a giant dead bird. <laughs> Pam Greer as Amanda Waller, not so much. There are no current actresses who jump out at me as being right for the part, but Nell Carter... Or a younger Esther Roll could have been great, I think. Oh, yeah, can someone please explain to me why the fuck Clark doesn't wear the suit? No. I Not think going to. The, the real reason is that what's-his-face that plays him doesn't want to, right? Isn't that the main thing? Uh, I've heard, like, a lot of things. Because there was a long time where it was said that, you know, everyone said, well, he's just stuck up and he's... You know, he doesn't want to do any press, but it just turned out that he was just really fucking busy with the show and that he's a very private guy. Because when he went to uh, Comic-Con last year, they hustled him in for a day and he was the nicest guy. I watched the videos of the panel and it's like when people would ask him question, he gen- questions, he would genuinely look embarrassed to be asking them, like, why are you asking me a question? He was nice to every single person. So hmm. I didn't get a prima donna feeling off this guy at all. Huh. In, f- in fact, at one point, one girl was like, okay, uh, this is my question, and could you answer it really slow so I could watch you? And, and he kind of smiled, and he goes, oh, okay. Oh, and he, he started speaking. <laughs> so I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. So I don't know. I I, th- I kind of feel bad for Tom Welling because here's a guy who, when that show started, he was 24 years old. His acting career was before him. He had had a couple of successful acting jobs before that. Before that, he was a model. And then he gets on Smallville. The show takes off in popularity, and now it's his career. Right. And you just got to think, wow, this is probably not what he envisioned when he said, I want to be an actor. So <laughs> that's just my opinion. Anyways, nice Hunter story feature this time. The Earth 2 version. Oh, you missed, you missed the part Oh, I'm sorry. Part. Oh, as an aside, <laughs> Clark is a moron. I would totally be nailing Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Nice Hunter story feature this time. The Earth 2 version of the character was always a favorite of mine, and her appearances in Batman Family and Adventure Comics were often the high points of those issues. I had stopped buying Wonder Woman before the Hunter's backup series was added, so DC can thank the character for getting at least one more sale of the book back then. Now, I want to ask, you know, Stan's talking like like he's been reading a long time. I've been reading some back issues recently, and there was a Stan Johnston in the letters column. Now, there's probably a couple hundred Stan Johnstons in the world, but I was just wondering if Stan was a letter hack back then. Just just asking. Write it in and let us know. I have to agree with you about the cover art on DC Superstars number 17. State may not be one of my favorites, but he could draw a fine-looking female figure. Mm-hmm. I have only a few issues of DC Superstars in my collection, but based on what I do have, I would say it's largely a reprint series. I know that issue 7 reprints Between Two Dooms from Aquaman number 35, and an Aqualad short that originally ran in issue 30 of the original Teen Titans series. Issue 4 reprints Adam Strange from Mystery in Space number 91, a Space Ranger story from Tales of the Unexpected number 45, and a Captain Comet yarn from Strange Adventures number 14. The Captain Comet story features some stunning Murphy Anderson artwork, if you dig his material as much as I do. 
I remember the AAU shoes. The AAU <laughs> stands for Amateur Athletic Union, by the way. If you were a kid in the late 70s wearing those shoes, you were picked on mercilessly at my school. <laughs> I honestly don't know if they were quality shoes or not, but they were treated as being only slightly better than tracks from Kmart, if you remember those. Uh, fortunately, I had parents who loved me enough to buy Chucks. Michael, it's good to know, it's good to hear I'm not the only one anal enough about my comic book wallpaper that I only have a recycle bin on the desktop. In addition, I have a program that randomly displays a new wallpaper daily, so I get a surprise each morning when I sit down at my computer. He needs to share that program with us. I'd, I'd like to know what that is, actually. I hate NASCAR, he continues. <laughs> but I'm an avid football fan. I was never pushed into it, but rather attracted to it because, in my mind at the time, cool costumes the players got to wear. From the perspective of a 10-year-old, there isn't a whole lot of difference between a superhero's outfit and the garb football players parade around in every weekend, especially if you're NFL super pro. That's at the end there. <laughs> I guess I didn't experience as many trials and tribulations growing up geek as some of your other listeners. I wasn't invited to parties at the cool kids' houses or anything. In fact, I had a very small circle of friends who were also into comics, science fiction, and fantasy. But I didn't get on the bus each day wondering what evil would befall me at the hands of one bully or another. Then thank your lucky stars, dude. I was usually the tallest guy in the room, so in retrospect, I suppose that helped protect me somewhat from being picked on. Not saying I was never given shit for reading comics and being into geeky stuff, but it was pretty rare and never went beyond a verbal jab. Scott, you stole my thunder! As I usually do, I was slipping through All-Star Comics number 70 as you guys were recapping it. When I came to page 9, top panel, my immediate reaction was, Santa is tending bar in his PJs? <laughs> you know, Staten had to have done that on purpose, right? Oh, absolutely. I didn't have the Linda Carter poster you talked about in this issue as All-Star, but I did have the one where her short is tied off, exposing her tummy, and her thumb is tucked into her waistband. That was about the time I started locking my bedroom door. Mm-hmm. I'd like to okay. tuck my thumb into her waistband, if you know what I mean, but continue. Okay, enough babbling for now. Looking forward to when you get into the hostess stories from Wonder Woman. Huntress. Oh, Huntress. <laughs> or it's Hostess. Been long, it's been a long day. Uh, Stan, you know, it's it's amazing to me, and this, is, this isn't anything against Stan or any of our other listeners, uh, I might add, but... Uh, it's amazing how many of these guys are admis- admitting when they started masturbating when they were. Yeah, teenagers. I've noticed that too. I've noticed a disturbing trend of coming out about the about that. Yeah, I, I'd rather not know. Thank you. <laughs> I'm perfectly okay not knowing about these things. But thanks for sharing. Yeah. Okay, our next one is from David A. Pascarella in Staten Island, New York. He writes. So the title of this one is Police Commissioner. I love this email, by the way, because this this totally this is the kind of email I really really like. Where we had a dilemma on the show, we're like, we don't know our shit, and somebody can, writes in to let us know what this story is. So I love this. He says, "Hi guys," he says, "been with you from episode one. Love the show and the chemistry between you guys. We do not have chemistry. We have a rapport. Okay, stop putting all this gay shit into the into the shows. Okay, all right. Anyway, I love you. <sighs> You're just feeding." The fires of slash fiction, dude, and it's not cool. Stop it! Alright. You know, there's entire websites now devoted to Mike Scott slash fiction, and it's just not cool, man. I just, I can't deal with that. I liked the one where I was dressed as Spock and you were dressed as Kirk. Alright, that one was cool. That one was, I did like that one. Anyway. 
It says, just wanted to drop a few lines regarding the discussions. People are going to be like Googling that shit. Like, I can't find it. You guys can be, you guys can be a link to that. Oh, my God. <laughs> he says, just wanted to drop a few lines regarding the discussion of episode 17 regarding the position of police commissioner and Bruce Wayne's ability to obtain it. I live in New York City. New York City! I love that commercial. Why don't they play that commercial anymore? Because I like that commercial. He says, I live in New York City and am an attorney. Well, we won't hold that against you, dude. We served, uh, who served for four years in the mayor's office under Mayors Giuliani and Bloomberg. Cool. In New York City, and I have to guess Gotham City would be similar, the position of police commissioner is appointed by the mayor. There is no requirement that the individual being appointed have, have served as a police officer, nor do they need any law enforcement experience at all. The commissioner is technically a civilian position similar to the Secretary of Defense. Under the commissioner and deputy commissioners is the five-star chief. The chief is a uniformed position which requires one to work their way up through the ranks. I believe there are civilian tests no. uh, up until the rank of captain and after that it is based on merit uh, appointment just some useless information not at all i found this really interesting and that's kind of what i thought the basic deal was was that yeah, yeah. it works something like this but it's really really nice to get confirmation so don't underestimate your email here uh david i really appreciated it, it says keep up the great work david a pascarella thank you so much for that i, I really did want to know what the deal was with this because I, I had this awful feeling that i was just talking out my ass about that and didn't know what the hell i was talking about so cool really appreciate it yeah, David. Uh, David listens to views. I think he listens to From Crisis to Crisis too. Yeah, he uh, he just sent us an email over on uh, Two True Freaks that we read that uh, this episode we're recording right now will probably air before that one. But yeah, we just read one of his emails over there. So cool. He's uh, he's listening all around. It's great. It's awesome. Dufo DeManzo is proud. Yes. Either that or he's high on coke and surrounded by hookers. I'm not quite... both. Okay, very good. Um, he's proud to be on coke and surrounded by hookers. hookers. All righty, we got one from Rick. It says, first-time emailer, long-time listener. Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. Lawrence? No, that's that's not what's going on at all here. I apologize for bringing up uh, uh, Batman, the, the movie from 1989. Anyways, it says, gentlemen, just wanted to drop you guys a line to say that I really enjoy the show, and I have a link that you might want to check out if you haven't already. The Internet Archive has the Adventures of Captain Marvel serial from 1941 available to download. Oh, and Michael, someone fairly recently uploaded similar files of Superman to the news groups. They were Superman and the Mole Man, Adam Man vs. Superman, and the serial from 1948. Pretty cool stuff to check out. Take it easy, Rick. And uh, he gave us the link, which is at www.archive.org. And from there, you can find all of the goodness he just talked about. Have you ever seen that, The uh, Adventures of Captain Marvel? No. It's cool. That's yeah. what I hear. Yeah, I actually own that on... Um, I have it on, I bought it on VHS. I think, I think I have it on... DVD. I think I downloaded it a couple years ago. If I'm, I could be wrong about that, but I know that I bought it 
on VHS when it first came up because I just happened to be working um, in video, you know, working retail video when that was released and just flipped out because I'd only ever heard about it, but I'd never seen it. So I bought it and, and watched through it. And it's really, really, really cool. What's neat is that, you know, it's, it's old as hell. I mean, it's 1941, but some of the special effects in that hold up even today. I mean, it still has some of the best flying stuff of superheroes well, that was ever done because they, they made physical used, effects. They used one of those gags in Superman the movie. Yes. Mm-hmm. When he's flying away after dumping the um, boulder down mm-hmm. to cause the rock slide, that shot of him where the camera's looking up and he flies overhead, it was basically kind of a dummy on a pole, basically. Right, and that's that they how they did, shoot yeah. across. And Yeah, I've heard really good things about it. I just haven't got around to seeing it yet. So it's good. I really enjoyed it quite a lot because it's pretty faithful to you know the comic book origins of the character to a certain degree. It's the origin of Billy finding the wizard and all that is much closer to the stuff that Ordway would do much much later, like in the Power of Shazam, the the graphic novel, mm-hmm. because it owed more to him going into a tomb and finding him and all that rather than going down into the subway and all like the like the classic origin. But it, it's close enough that. You know the the spirit is still there and all that and uh, uh, what's his name that played Captain Marvel is Tom really, Tyler Tyler that's it. all I could think of is Tom Lyle and I knew that wasn't right yeah he uh, he makes a really really good uh, Captain now, Marvel Tom Lyle is an unappreciated comic book artist yes <laughs> <laughs> I told you I knew it wasn't right but that's all that would come to mind but uh, uh, about about the only criticism I could really think of on that is. Uh, while the actor was very good and very serviceable in the role, I thought the kid that played Billy wasn't really a good Billy. You know, if you know what I mean. It's okay. not, no knock against him because he was a fine actor and all, and he did a really good job. I just I thought he was kind of wrong for the role. Well, that's but, a uh, fair assessment. I mean, you know, if you think somebody's wrong wrong for the role, there's not much you uh, not much you can do about it. So it there you it's go. the same problem I had with uh, with what's his name? Uh, I think his name was Michael Gray that played Billy on the on the old TV show. Is that he was too old? You know, he he did a fine job, but he was just too old for the role. And that's the same problem this kid had in the serial. Is he was I wouldn't be surprised if he was probably in his early twenties. And Billy Batson to me is you know maybe fifteen, sixteen at the most. So, I, I think they could have gone with with someone much younger. Mm-hmm. But, but other than that, yeah, it, it's cool. I'd, I'd definitely say give it a try. You know, it's 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 old and it it's a little slow in parts, but you know the parts that actually have Captain Marvel in them are pretty freaking cool. I look forward to checking it out. Cool. Yay! Uh, how many more do we want to go here, dude? I think that's probably about it. Is that good? All right. I think we're good there. All right, and that's it for the email section this time around. Thank everybody for uh, for writing in on that, and we ready to get to the main event here? Yes, sir. All right, and for this time around, we are taking a look at All-Star Comics number 73. This is the July-August 1978 issue. Cover on this one is by Joe Staten and Joe Gaella, who also do the interior art in the issue. The cover on this one, it's kind of a cool one. You've got in one corner, you've got the Huntresses fighting each other. 
You've got uh, Flash and Power Girl facing off against the Sportsmaster. And then you've got, uh, at the bottom it says, and the end of Wildcat? And it shows Wildcat, and it looks like Thorne's about to, like, I don't know, it actually looks like she's about to give him a back rub or something, really. And she doesn't look all that threatening, but it's still a cool <laughs> <up. laughs> Written by Paul Levitz. Roll call for this issue. Once again, they didn't give us one, so I'm going to give you one. We got the Huntress. We got the other Huntress. We got the Flash. We got Power Girl. We got Green Lantern, Wildcat, Dr. Fate, and Hawkman. Story is entitled, Be It Ever So Deadly. And in this one, the Huntress, daughter of the Batman, is locked in deadly combat with the Huntress, Golden Age villain lady. After a couple of pages of fighting, uh, which involves a lot of death traps and kicks to the solar plexus, the Huntress, no, the other one, traps the Huntress, no, the other one, in what <laughs> looks like a big phone booth. Back at Keystone City Hospital, the team all stands around fretting over their dying pal Wildcat instead of, you know, like, actually fucking doing something about it or anything. <laughs> They're waiting for Huntress, no, the other one, to get back with the freeze ray they need as part of Wildcat's cure and wondering just what in the hell is taking her so long anyway. Green Lantern suddenly remembers that, <laughs> oh, duh, I got a magic ring, and creates a TV to look in on her and sees that she's in trouble. <laughs> and I got to thinking, you know, it's a damn good thing that she wasn't, like, held up on the can or something like that. You know? <laughs> I was just thinking, what if she was, like, getting a shower? You know, I just mean, one time. I'd, watching? Oh, yeah, I'd love to see that just one. I was thinking about this the other day. I was watching uh, the Mirror Mirror episode of Star Trek, right? And there's that part where Captain Kirk's girlfriend uses that little tantalus field to spy on Spock. And I thought the same thing in that. I was like, why in these shows or in these comics do they never spy on somebody at the exact moment that they're, like, pinching a loaf or something? I'd love that. Just one time I'd like to see Your fascination with such things is so disturbing. I'm sorry. But wouldn't it be more realistic, though? I don't know. Maybe, Maybe it's just me. Or, you know, picking their nose or something. You know, just something embarrassing instead of just... You know, they're walking down the street or they're captured by the supervillain or something. Just give me something more realistic. You know, they're <laughs> scratching their ass or something. I don't know. Anyway, Green Lantern uh, does what he really should have done in the first place, and he takes off for their headquarters, which causes Power Girl and the Flash to reconsider why in the hell are they just hanging around the hospital so they decide to scoot too. On a one-page interlude, Hawkman and Dr. Fate find themselves reunited and captured in a strange elseworld place, or elsewhere place, rather, and are talked to by a pyramid. I'm not making that up. Back to the Flash and Power Girl, who are racing down the streets of Keystone City when Power Girl's superhearing, or would that be power hearing, picks up the sounds of the Thorn's laughter coming from... <gasps> Jay Garrick's house! Flash suddenly whips ahead of uh, Power Girl and is frantically racing toward his home and his dear wife when they are both attacked by the Sportsmaster. While Power Girl deals with him, Flash manages to get free and rescue his wife from the clutches of the thorn. Wildcat's doctor wonders what the fuck is taking so long with that freeze ray, and we cut to Green Lantern rescuing the Huntress from the Huntress at the JSA headquarters. But Green Lantern is quickly taken out and the Huntress, Huntresses face off again. 
cut back to the doctor, who's pretty much like, at this point, fuck it, help me wheel this guy down to the morgue, will you? Meanwhile, Sportsmaster and Power Girl have a pretty cool fight. She ultimately takes him out by throwing a rock at him, which is always (laughs) really good for a laugh in my book. Flash is temporarily stymied by Thorne's superhuman ability to twirl until he remembers that he just happens to be the same guy that ran through fucking time a couple of issues ago. <laughs> Jesus. You know, he's constantly taken out by very mundane things that she, he should be a hell of a lot faster in this issue. And it, it really got on my nerves after a bit. Anyway, I'm sorry to bitch and complain, but that just drove me a little bit crazy. Huntress rather unspectacularly takes down the other Huntress by snaring her in one of her own traps, and some time and distance later, she, along with Power Girl, Flash, and Green Lantern, watch and wait while doctors struggle to save the life of Wildcat. Finally, they are given the sign, and the four friends rejoice, while elsewhere a mysterious figure observes. And that's... All Star Comics number seventy three. So, what'd you think, man? Um, <clears throat> I thought it was a really strong issue, action wise. Um, they Levitt seemed to really be suggesting, at least, that this is kind of the direction he's going to go in after the last two part story, where Wildcat, Star Spangled Kid, and Huntress fought the Strike Force, which kind of had a big, ac- like big action moments in it as well. This is where he's taking the old JSA villains in general and bringing them back. I love the concept of the Huntress and the Huntress fighting, mm-hmm. um, especially with what's done with the Huntress later. Uh, I like the Sportsmaster, like we said last issue. He's kind of silly, but it's it's kind of cool as well. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, really and truly, I. <sighs> I couldn't find too much at fault with this issue. Oh, that's and okay. I, did... I found fault for you, dude. Well, you see, that's the thing. You said, you know, when I read it, when I read through it, I was like, this is pretty cool. It's it's not like it's not like in the next issue, which I've already read and done the notes for, where there are like like serious what the fuck moments <laughs> on on ten or twelve occasions at least. But you know, there, there you know, the I am kind of creeped out that Alan Scott can apparently will to see other people on a really old-fashioned television. Well, I guess it's not old-fashioned at the time. Um, but, you know, I I don't have a whole lot to say about it. That's not to say that I thought it was terrible, and that's not to say that I thought it was the best thing ever. It's just one of those times where you read something, it's like, huh, that was entertaining. I'm, I'm glad you brought that point up about, you know, thinking it's terrible or anything, because I never, ever w- want to give the false impression that I don't love this stuff because I fucking love it. This was a great issue. It's it it's great because the art, while it is a step down, I thought the art yes. took a serious step down in this issue. But that, I'm sorry, I'm just going to call a spade a spade and say that is the fault of Joe Gaila's inking. He just mm-hmm. doesn't do Joe Staten justice in this issue. I'm sorry if that's harsh, but that's the reality of it because the art was fine up till now. But anyway, even though it does take a step down, I still love it. It's still dynamic. I love the fights. I love the action that happens in this. You know, it's one of those things where you have to put it all in context and realize that they were still mostly aiming this 
at what would you say like 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 tweens to teens yeah. something like that like eight to twelve yeah something like that so they weren't going to get really super technical like I'm going to get so I loved it however here's <laughs> some issues okay because <laughs> this is just kind of what I do I guess but uh, all right. I'm so glad that you didn't touch upon this last issue because it gives me a chance to really, really point it out in this one. If you take a look at the end of last issue with the Huntress, the evil Huntress, and then you take a look at the battle throughout in this one. All right, I'm sorry. Where the hell are all these traps coming from? I mean, this is a woman who, what, she's got to be. How old by this point? Because she's 50s. a... Yeah. And, and if you look at the end of last issue, one of the traps that she set up is a fully operational pendulum, like this giant metal blade <laughs> hanging from the ceiling in the... J. I mean, how fucking long did it take her to set that up? You know? I mean, how strong would she have to be to be able to, to, to rig something like that up? We've got nets, we've got giant balls, we've got all these crazy death trap things that she rigged up. I mean, she she would have had to have brought like a moving truck with her for all these death traps that she rigged up. It's if you think about it, it all falls apart as as really really silly. I mean, just this giant bear trap thing that, yeah. that almost clamps Huntress alone. I, I would guess that that probably may, weighs more than she would be able to lift. I'm just saying. Well, she's and, in pretty good shape, so well, she is. And I'm not I'm not slating her for for her sex or anything. I'm just saying that you know she's an old woman at this point. Some of this stuff looks like it would be terribly complicated or very heavy for her to have. And it's not like she pulled it off of her utility belt. You know what I mean? This thing is a yeah. is a giant. It's a giant bear trap. Not to mention the full-size Huntress dummy full of knockout gas that she takes Green Lantern out with. Again. Is it, it freaky purple knockout gas? I just got to know. It, it, it Well, it's pink. <sighs> and it says, okay. I love that. Anyway, along the same lines, just how many flying vehicles does Sportsmaster have anyway? And you know, A lot. I mean, do I even want to know where he's pulling them out of? Because last issue he had um, bases, like baseball bases, yeah. that he wore on his feet, kind of like Mr. Miracle style, and flew around. Now, they were cool. And then in the beginning of this one, he has like one of those flying platform kind of things that you see like in all the science fiction movies. And, and Power Girl smashes that. Well, then when they come back from one of the multitude of breaks of the doctor going, Jesus Christ, what's taking so long with that freeze ray? <laughs> then he's got a... F- <laughs> I'm serious, dude. There's like 15 of those in this issue. It's ridiculous. They cut back to him fighting Power Girl again, and this time he has a flying roulette wheel. It's like, where is he getting all this shit from? Well, he's had like 30 years to build all of it. I guess. So... All right, let's see. What else do we got? I'm, I've just got all kinds of... Okay. Several times in this, they're like, why hasn't the Huntress returned? What's going on with the Huntress? And it's like, you know, seeing as how a teammate's life is on the line, 
you know, maybe like the guy who could run faster than time or the dude with the magic ring that allows him to fly should have gone on this mission. You know, they sent the rookie to go and do this. And then they stand around going, gee, I wonder what's taking her. So I'm, I <laughs> drive me crazy. Now, as soon as Green Lantern heads out to rescue Huntress, then everybody else leaves. You know, because suddenly it's like they suddenly realize that, you know, well, there's nothing more that we can do at the hospital. You know, hanging around there was awfully important just last issue. You know, it was so important that they sent the rookie to retrieve the life-saving device. Like, ah, the shit doesn't follow its own logic from issue to issue. It's, ah, I need to calm down. Should I get this worked up about this? I think it's funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, you would. You like winding me up. All well, right. yeah. <laughs> How in the hell... For my own petty amusement, yes. <laughs> this this, this one probably took... This was probably the cake taker right here, all right? How the hell do you snag the flash in a net? It was enough of a stretch way back when we started this. Remember the issue where... I think it was Vandal Savage tracks the Flash and anticipates where he's going to be when he shoots him. Yes. Yeah, that I had was, I had an issue with that. Yeah, that's enough of a stretch right there. But a net? How do you catch him in a net? I mean, the the note I've got for this is you're the world's fastest man, stupid. Run, Forest, run. You know, it's like <laughs> what the hell? You should never be able to. And the same thing, they do the same thing later on in this, where Thorn actually keeps Flash at bay from being able to take her into custody because she just starts twirling. I mean, that's it. That's all she does. She starts twirling, and she's basically, what is it? He says, uh, even with my speed, I can't get near her without getting scratched and poisoned. I'm thinking... She's not superhumanly fast. She's not like the top. She's just a normal woman spinning like a lunatic. Just run over there and punch her in the head. You know? (laughs) I I don't get it. Eventually, he does remember that, oh, gee, you know, I'm faster than whatever. And and he he sets up, you know, his patented flash twirly thing to where he takes her out with like like a mini cyclone or some bullshit. But, oh. (sighs) <sighs> Lastly, why doesn't the Huntress ever use the freeze ray? She's got it in her hand the entire issue. And she lets the other Huntress kick her ass and throw her into death traps and stuff. Why doesn't she just use the freeze ray on her? I don't know. <laughs> <sighs> and that's it. I'm very amused at all the problems you had with it, though. I really am. <laughs> Oh, you just can't think too much about these things, or you just you just well, in it for yourself. I think I, I, I I'm not the type of person that when I when I'm reading a comic or I'm watching a movie that's like, well, I'm just gonna turn my brain off and I'm not gonna think about anything and whoop de do. I just want to be entertained. I just want to see shit blow up and tits on the screen. Um, well, all the time, anyways. But. <laughs> But there are times it's like when I read this issue, I was just like, eh, I don't really have too much to say about it. But it's like, like I said, the next issue, lots to say about it. So <laughs> it, 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 it's it's inconsistent 
but only every once in a while. So, I mean, I, I see every single problem you have with it and agree with it. It's just at the time I was reading it, I really didn't notice it, I guess, if that makes any sense. That's okay, dude. I'll take up your slack. It's all right. It's oh, all right. God, it's always got to come down to you being a douchebag. <laughs> Oh, that's not right. You hurt my feelings. Yeah, like you have, Eddie. <laughs> anyway. I'm sorry. That was mean. That was hard. Mike's man. a dick. Just Mike let everyone... is a dick. I'm going to start putting that around on the internet. All right. Anyway, <laughs> we got some cool ads in there. Well, we got some shit ads, too, but we got some cool ads in here. The toughest pitcher I ever faced. Johnny Bench is a fucking liar. I just want to say that right out of the gate. There's no way that this flimsy piece of shit plastic thing that throws a wiffle ball at you is the toughest pitcher that he ever faced. <laughs> Though it would be kind of like when I was watching uh, uh, Gene Simmons' Family Jewels today, and 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 his son and his friends beat Gene and the and the current drummer and the current lead guitarist of uh, of Kiss on Rock Band <laughs> on Kiss Rock Band. <laughs> So, there oh, you go. that's funny. What else have we got? What else? Free bikes, burgers, and candy bars at Burger King. God damn it, it's sugar daddies, though. I hate sugar daddies. Yeah, I don't like those either. They're nasty. You can be a pedophile. I mean a major league coach. Oh, we're going to get letters from every major league coach in the country. Yeah, or like, not. <laughs> they can work. <laughs> we got to hostess ad, which we'll skip momentarily. <gasps> Batman's Strangest Cases, five of the weirdest, most awesome, oh, they use my word, most awesome, I'm going to charge them for that, by the way, most awesome Dark Knight detective thrillers ever published, and you know what, they're not fucking kidding either, because this is great, great stuff, we got uh, Batman and the Demon of Gothos Mansion, we got, uh, what is this one, A Vow from the Grave, that's some beautiful, beautiful, uh, uh, what you call it, Uh, Neil Adams art in that one. Red Water, Crimson Death. I don't remember that one very much. Um, the Batman, Nobody Knows, which, you know what? I just recently learned that one is actually written by Frank Robbins, who, I have to be honest, I don't think much of him as an artist, but that's a good story. It was yep. adapted into the animated series. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. And Night of the Bat, which is kind of cool because it's not actually a Batman story. That's actually an issue of Swamp Thing guest starring Batman. But they're right. It is one of the uh, cooler and stranger Batman cases. Awesome. Uh, Bernie writes an art on that one. Mm-hmm. This is cool. This is a really nice. That's one of those giant. Uh, it has a great cover that we're going to talk yeah. about when we get to it. It's a beautiful cover. My yeah. God. Nice. Uh, Beginning June 1st, the DC Explosion. More pages, more stories, and the most exciting superheroes in comics. We got Hawkman, and we got Ace. Enemy Ace, we got Big Barda, The Ray. Who in the fuck is that in the back? Oh, I can't ever remember this dude's name. I, I always blank when it comes to his name. I want to say like the Jester or something. I know that's not I can't think of it. Uh, Omac? Uh, who's that chick? Donna Troy at a toga party? Oh, uh, I'll buy that for a dollar. Don't know if that's who it is. Uh, Martian Manhunter, Dead Man, and the Atom. Martian Manhunter is like jaundiced or something. What's, what's up with him right there? This is a Joe Staten cover. 
It's a picture, video. so it's a really yeah. nice, a really nice picture. Damn, what's that dude's name? That's going to drive me crazy now. All I can think of is like Madman or something. I know that's not right. I, I can't think of it. It's not like comedian or no. Ah. Oh, it'll come to me as I'm laying awake tonight trying to remember what it is. Yeah, I'm sure that's, um, that's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. <laughs> Let's see, what do we got? The Sound and the Fury of the War Thrillers. We got Sergeant Rock and the Fighting Forces featuring the Losers. Never got much on the war comics myself. Yeah, I've got um, Chuck Sheffy, who you met at my birthday party. Yeah. Uh, he's a really big war comic fan, so I'm sure he has either owned or does still own these, uh, these books got another direct currents ad under that, that we talked about last week, uh, TV posters, giant wall sized posters and full cover. They got another Christy McNichol one. I don't understand it. She's a man, baby. They got a, is that Suzanne's? Yeah, that's Suzanne Summers mm-hmm. up there. Dallas Cowboy uh, cheerleaders. Yeah. My, copy is like really faded they got the wonder woman where it's all surrounded by stars and mm-hmm. she's standing there in all her wonder woman glory mm-hmm. uh, the really kind of homoerotic starsky and hutch poster who's the blonde in the corner uh, i want to say that's is that angie dickinson oh it may be angie dick well yeah maybe because she's listed in the thing here so yeah it could be so is she naked I think she's naked. I'm going to imagine she's naked because the picture. Would you please not do that while I'm around? (laughs) (laughs) My favorite ad in this entire comic is first there was World's Finest. Next there was Brave and the Bold, and they show the cover of that goofy as hell Brave and the Bold Green Lantern Batman team up that I just read recently. Oh, did you? Yes, it's it's oh god. Now, the people who pioneered superhero team-ups proudly introduce DC Comics Presents. Yeah. This was the only new comic to come out like right around the time of the movie. I loved DC Comics Presents, especially the, the early issues. Um, yeah, the early issues were good. You got a little later in that series, and they became like serious hit and miss. Right. Well, it's the same thing as... Uh, Brave and the Bold. Brave and the Bold. Yeah, I was, but it, you know, Brave and the Bold didn't start out with Batman. You know, but the era I remember, you know, the classic era for me of Brave and the Bold started out like that. You know, you had Neil Adams doing Batman is when I discovered it, and you know, then later on, Apero doing Batman team ups and all that, and it was great. But you know, as you get toward the end of Brave and the Bold, it's really freaking hit and miss. And that and DC Comics Presents suffered the same thing. But yeah, that first couple of years you know not only was the art typically it was fantastic but the, the team-ups were good too you know you had you had some really solid team-ups and uh, and i discovered a lot of characters for the first time off of that series as a kid so yeah i've got fond fond memories of that book Alrighty, we got the daily planet page which the headline is new Clayface threatens gotham and this was the first appearance of the preston Payne Clayface. yeah uh, who's the really, really messed up looking one with the dome head and the 
Really only, uh, you know, I, I haven't, I, it's been a while since I've read this particular issue, uh, and but I really liked that Alan Moore story that was part yeah. of Batman Annual number 11, mm-hmm. and it's kind of sad when you think about it, that, uh, <laughs> this is so horrible, that the main story in that annual with the Penguin was the forgettable one, but like the messed up, psychologically driven 10 page story with Clayface 3 was like the best part of that book. So. <laughs> We've got unexpected coffin, uh, excuse me, unexpected reveals secrets of empty coffin, which uh, talks about the latest issue of The Unexpected. We got Ask the Answer Man. Mm-hmm. Will Bouncing Boy, Duo Damsel, or Mantle Eater Lad ever rejoin the Legion of Superheroes? The answer, if you'll pardon the pun, lies in the future. It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty lame answer. When will I know if my subscription is expiring? You, you don't get any more comics in your mailbox, dumbass. <laughs> Ask the cynical answer, man. <laughs> yeah, oh, I should totally do that. Oh, that'd be awesome. You will receive advance notice, so you'll have plenty of time to renew. Will Superman ever meet Spider-Man again? There is always a possibility. Yes, and it did come to pass. When will Hawkman, Adam, Green Arrow, and Elongated Man get their own comics? Hawkman is currently in showcase and is scheduled for a feature in Detective. The Adam will be appearing in Action Comics. GA appears in Green Lantern and in World's Finest, but Elongated Man will have to be content with guest shots in the Justice League duty for now. And this question was asked last uh, last week. When will the third volume of Mike Fleischer's Encyclopedia be on sale? Volume 3, Superman, is scheduled for publication this summer. And the last one, this is my favorite question. Does the Joker really hate Hostess Fruit Pies? <laughs> well, he is crazy. <laughs> I love that. You know, looking at the letters page right here reminded me of something I forgot to to cover in that uh, DC special series, which was the letters page. There actually is a letters page in there, and what it is, is it was addressing that DC Superstars issue that we uh, covered with the Huntress origin. And in short, it was just really cool because everybody wrote in about that, and Everybody was really supportive and, and totally praising it and how awesome a character she was and what a great invention and all. Except one letter that they had in there was by Jerry Bales, totally ripping on the Huntress and how she was a completely unoriginal idea and they should abandon it. And it was really wacky. I was like, wow, seriously? Yeah, Jerry, uh, Jerry Bales, not a fan of the Huntress when she first came along. I thought that was very funny. Very ironic. Yes. Well, brother, that leaves us with no, 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 uh, no. back cover. Look at look at look at the inside. Oh no, back I cover. know. No, no, no. I want to. Uh, oh, inside back cover. Yeah. Oh, you're right. We got kids. What is this? D is it? DJ D DC the... superheroes collection. Oh, all right. That does not like a C at all. No, it doesn't. It's really messed up. DC superheroes collectors everywhere. Oh, these are cool now. Do you have some of these? Because I've got most of the ones on the bottom. I don't think I... I... I don't have any of these, but recently I saw a, like all of them on eBay in one lot. Oh, wow. That was just too rich for my blood. <laughs> well, you got at the top of the page, you've got superheroes activity books for hours of fun. Now, 
honestly, I was never a big fan of these things because even as a kid, I realized if I write in this thing, then I've ruined it. So I didn't want to get them because I couldn't write in them. And I don't know. It's it's a weird, I don't know, one of those, uh, what do you call it? Uh, damn, what do you call that? The, the compulsive disorder thing? Fuck it. <laughs> you don't know what, what I'm talking about. What, what are you talking about? You know that that you know like the freaks that like wash their hands over and over. What do they call Obsessive that? Obsessive compulsion. That's it. Yeah, it's okay. one of those type of things with me. You know that I don't know. Cut all that out because it makes me sound like a lunatic. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But at the no. bottom of the page, you got DC Comics in paperback books, superheroes adventures. I think I've got all of these except. Uh, let's see. I don't know about that Batman one, and I don't know about that Wonder Woman one, but I think I've got the rest of these. Now, are these yeah. like the tour books that just reprint comics? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah pretty much. But they're cool. I, I liked them for the cover art on some of them, although it turns out, you know, now that I'm older and have more comics, I, I realize that these covers were just, you know, either covers or panels from you know, the issues inside, but I didn't realize that as a kid. Like, that Justice League one is a really cool cover. Yes. Uh, Superman basically de- delivering the Sermon on the Mount, but uh, that's actually a cover from an issue, and I never realized that as a kid because I'd never seen the the cover or whatever. But yeah, they're, they're cool. But they're along the lines of those ones that Marvel did. Yes. They reprinted issues of, like, say, like, Old Avengers or something, and they just kind of re-edited... The, the panels to make it more like a like a newspaper strip form type of thing so they they were a little odd but they were still kind of cool all righty what do you want to do first sir let's do the hostess ad because i'm saving that gem on the back cover for last because i love that ad <laughs> okay this is another one that sadly makes a hell of a lot of sense it does. It does. Uh, okay. I, I have a, I have an issue with it, but yeah, you're right. For the most part, it does. All right, you got to be Wonder Woman last time, so I get to be Superman this time. God, that's so unfair. <laughs> Do you want to be Superman? No, I was just kidding. Oh, okay. This is Superman in the Big Fall. Superman's walking down the street. Clark Kent, rather, is walking down the street, and all right. Does this weird you out, the thought that he's just constantly using his x-ray vision to just check shit out all the time? I mean, I, no, I realize... I'd totally be doing the same thing. Okay, so all right. Well, that's cool. At least you're honest about it. I'd be, like, looking ask. into, like, some woman's shower for a dilemma or a situation to be happening, though, rather than looking at it. <laughs> Something's happening, but it's in your pants. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. My x-ray vision shows the women's shower is A-okay. <laughs> Anyway, that's not what he's doing. He's looking into an elevator shaft where all these people are going to die. He says, great, Krypton. Thanks to my x-ray vision, I can see that elevator cable getting ready to snap. Maybe it's snapping because you're zapping it with your x-ray vision. Just an idea. (laughs) Anyway, rips open his shirt and says, this is a job for Superman, not Clark Kent. And before you can say up, up, and away, Superman is streaking up the elevator shaft to the 73rd floor. And we see Superman, and he catches the elevator, and then smashes it through the top of the building, lifts it up, kind of like he does in Superman 2 when he uh, takes the elevator up through the Eiffel Tower. 
And the people inside say... Don't... Uh, I'm scared! Let me out of here! Don't be scared, kids. I'll get you all down safely. Meantime, enjoy some Hostess Cupcakes. Gee, Superman and Hostess Cupcakes. Don't forget the luscious cream filling. Love the fudgy icing. The deep, dark, chocolatey cake. Oh, God. <laughs> Sometime later... And, oh, this is uh, Clark Kent says, And were you scared during this daring rescue by Superman? Superman would save us. Besides, we were too busy enjoying these hosted cupcakes. You get a big delight and every bite of hostess cupcakes. Okay, really my only real issue with this, uh, beyond the uh, I don't know, the kind of strangeness of him just walking around checking everything out with his x-ray vision all the time, is the fact of, okay, he can't catch the elevator and just lower it to the ground and let everybody out. Has he got to smash through the top of the building? I mean, yes. You know, they're, they're going to have enough of a time fixing the elevator and hooking the cables back up. Now they've got a fucking hole in the roof that they've got to fix. I think Superman just likes smashing shit up myself. I think he likes making... I just wonder where he got the Hostess cupcakes. Again, I have to say it, maybe Superman <laughs> went back to that grocery store <laughs> with the guy with the aliens from the first time we talked about Superman and the Hostess things. And yeah, it's just... <laughs> He, he went out back to, like, read the newspaper, grab a quick smoke. He comes back. All the freaking Hostess cupcakes are gone. There's a $20 bill. God damn it. He's writing letters to the editor of the Daily Planet. We got to do something. He becomes like the J. Jonah Jameson of the DC Universe. We got to do something about this Kryptonian menace. Oh, that's hilarious. I want to see the story. Clark Kent, super kleptomaniac. Because he's stealing all these Hostess products. Yes. Uh, I do love the picture where he's lowering the elevator to the ground, though. That looks that almost looks like a Wayne Boring Superman, the way it's drawn. It's pretty cool. Awesome. It could have been wackier, though. I like, I like the really strange, wacky ones that make absolutely no sense whatsoever. All right. Lastly, for this issue, one of my favorite all-time classic ads. We got... Super Siren by Empire. All right. Now, I like to change this one just a little bit. I like to make the guy backing up the car more reflective of the people that would have been doing this sort of thing when I was a kid. Now, you got Bobby's out riding his bike, right? And he rides right behind Mr. Jones as Mr. Jones is backing his car out of his driveway. And in the ad, he actually says, watch out, Bobby. But what I like to imagine he says is, God damn it, Bobby. <laughs> Because it's like if my dad was, you know, Mr. Well, what bothers me is that, you know, I'm of the opinion that if I'm backing out of a driveway, it's my responsibility to watch out for people. Oh, hell no. no. Bobby's got the right of way. I'm sorry. No, see, I'm a much more aggressive driver. I'm of the opinion that I'm driving a, you know, a vehicle that weighs, what, probably a ton at least. Yes. And, you know, if I'm backing up, if I'm going forward, if I'm driving 20 or if I'm driving 120, you better get the fuck out the way because I'm driving a motor vehicle, goddammit. So I, I totally put the, the, the impetus in, in this situation on Bobby to, to watch out what the hell he's doing. So anyway, Bobby gets home and his mother's waiting for him. She's pissed. She says, Bobby, Mr. Jones told me what happened. You're punished. No more bike riding. And wait till your father gets home. He's going to beat your ass. No, she doesn't say that. But my mother would have said that. 
So Bobby, feeling badly, is now out walking. And why wasn't he just sent to his room? She just lets him go out and walk. So anyway, yeah. so he's out walking, and he looks in the toy store window, and he sees oh, Super Siren. He says, wow, this is just what I need. Okay, kids, this is the important part. So Bobby runs home with a Super Siren and puts it on his bike. Hey, Mom, look what I got for my bike. She says, okay, Bobby, now you can ride your bike. So again... Stupid-ass kid rides right behind Mr. Jones as he's trying to back out of his driveway. But he blows his super siren, which goes, woo, 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 which is really annoying. The neighbors must love that. And Mr. Jones says, good boy, Bobby. Go on and pass. And he says, thanks, Mr. Jones. Kids, play it safe. Get a super siren for your hot hot cycle. What the hell's a hot cycle? Hot cycle, trike, and bike. And it's got this mail-in coupon. Okay. As a child... I believe that there was a moral in every story, right? Yeah. So this is the moral that I learned as a kid. Being right. a successful shoplifter totally fucking rules. Because you'll notice in this ad, it never says Bobby paid for the Super Siren. It clearly states Bobby runs home with the Super Siren and puts it on his bike. <laughs> I just was worried through this entire thing that you were going to say Bobby blows Mr. Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for it. It never happened. And I think, and I, and I okay, I'm going to get on, I'm going to get on my knees right now. God, thank you for. Oh, you're going to dark, dark place. You know what would have been really funny? Turns out Mr. Jones is deaf and in the last panel he runs over Bobby anyway. Went through all that for nothing. <laughs> but I'm serious, dude. Bobby totally, totally shoplifted that bike store or toy store, whatever the hell it is. You have no faith in humanity. I don't. <laughs> hey, I've been a toy store manager, okay? I know the little bastards. They got sticky fingers. Well, maybe they should wash after whatever. They do. <laughs> Some comic fans have sticky fingers, you oh. know? Yes, yes, yes. Remember how we had to like go take a Karen Silkwood shower after going through those 50-cent boxes? Oh, my God. At the comic show? My oh God. Oh, my God. <laughs> All righty. We do have some covers to talk about in what else is going on in the DCU. Okay, we got DC Comics Presents number one, which doesn't have a spectacular cover, but it was a two-part story with the Flash racing Superman drawn by Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Yes. That right there makes it awesome. The uh, The Batman cover is kind of interesting. Uh, it has Batman sitting there holding a smoking gun. This woman's got a man cradled in his arms. You murdered my husband, Batman. Why? Why? I didn't like the look on his face. Uh, kind of a cool Freedom Fighters cover. With all of them in glass tubes. Mm-hmm. You got a, a phantom lady all covered in snot. That's kind of cool. You like that Jonah Hex? Where? Where's Jonah Hex? Where am I looking? Right next to Freedom Fighters. Oh, duh. I looked right past it. No, I'm not so crazy about that cover, to be okay. honest with you. It looks like they're in the uh, that Crimson Forest on Krypton or something. That's kind of weird. Now, Brave and the Bull number 142. I have this cover, and I remember the oh, day Oh, come on. Don't do that again. And, and I remember the day I bought this comic, my friend Ryan looked at me, he said, is he fucking Batman, or is that just me? 
knew you were going to go there. Oh, come on, dude. I love that cover. It's like it's, I said before. Anytime you got Batman and, and Aquaman together by apparel, it's pure awesome. Yeah, but but okay, okay, okay. He's he's got Batman kind of in a headlock. He's got his legs straddled around Batman, and Batman's eyes are popping out of his <laughs> goggles. I'm sorry. It looks like he caught it just at the moment of penetration. So, oh, <laughs> things you know what what happens in Atlantis stays in Atlantis and. I'm sure there's slash fiction about that right now. So there you go. Probably with more pooping. Because apparently that's a staple of slash fiction. <laughs> oh, God. I didn't ah. need to know that. But now, thanks to Chris Honeywell, I know that. So very good. Um, got a lot of westerns and, and mystery yeah. books and other stuff around this month, too. We got... Uh, Sergeant that Sergeant Rock cover, which is kind of a cool show, Cubert Rock uh, <laughs> cover of Sergeant Rock facing off against a tank. I love that one. I, I love it because it's like, wow, you know, either Rock is really like a tough, tough taskmaster, or he's not too bright because his dudes look like they're dead to me. Yet he's like berating them, like, "Get up, goddamn it! There's a tank coming!" <laughs> Don't they look dead? I thought they yes. were all dead. All right. Uh, Weird War has a centaur fighting a tank. It's got to be... Let's see. That was America's secret weapon, dude. That's how we won World War II. We, we had centaurs. No, Paul I saw it on the History story. Channel. <laughs> I see a lot of shit on the History Channel that I'm like, why the fuck is this on the History Channel? Yeah, no kidding. Uh, you got Scalp Hunter apparently caught in a race riot. Uh, don't quite know how that works, but okay. <laughs> um... <laughs> Not fucking kidding. Uh, House of Mystery, which has a pretty cool-looking monster on it. They got ghosts. You got another Sergeant Rock book. You've got the Unexpected, which has like this proto swamp thing type creature coming out of the thing. I love that Superman family cover, though. Yes, it's done by uh, Rich Buckler. It's mm-hmm. is that the one where she was caught in the Phantom Zone, or mm-hmm. is that? Earth dies in ten minutes. No, that's the one that actually the story runs through the entire issue. The, every story in there is, although they're all solo stories, it turns out that they all link together. It, it's actually a pretty decent story. I, I talked about that one on uh, on Two True Freaks way back several months ago. It's got pretty cool. a badass Neil Adams action comics cover. Yes. Him breaking out of kryptonite chains. Love that. Uh, speaking of Neil Adams, limited collector's edition C fifty nine is that Batman Strangest Case. Oh God, Batman and Robin look awesome. Mm-hmm. Unknown Soldier cover is kind of cool too. Is that the? That's not the last issue, is it? Because I, I know he supposedly killed Hitler in the last issue. I don't know if that's the last one. No, or... it's not the last issue oh, okay. by far. So. We're going on the next month. You gotta right? pick that up. Those covers look really cool on just about every issue I've ever seen. And I'm not usually a war book guy either, but that looks kind of cool. To me, at least. What else we got here? We're going to next month as well, right? Yeah. Yes, we are. Got DC Special Series number 14, which reprints some early, early uh, Bernie Wrightson, Len Wein, uh, Swamp Thing stuff. I love the cover on that. Where is that? Uh, second row, fourth one over. Oh, I see it. Okay, dar. Well, that's right next to that Firestorm cover that I like so much. Yeah. 
Uh, I need to get the rest of the issues of the original Firestorm series one of these days because I've got the entire run of Fury of uh, yeah you know the what is that a hundred is it a hundred issues or hundred and fifty I forget what however many it's issues a hundred issues yeah but I don't have all the ones of the original whatever that was six issues I think well I I bought that in the same day I bought all of the Steel the Indestructible Man which has a cover which has a really nice cover I know you don't like Don Heck but I really like that fucking cover. Um, this was in the 90s when 70s books were still relatively cheap, so I got them all for like a dollar a piece. Oh, wow. Uh, which I felt, now looking at how those things go on like eBay and stuff, I feel like I really got a deal out of that. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I have, a, I have a full run of Firestorm, uh, you know, all of, the, all of the original series. It's really interesting. I, I recommend reading it. Fury, Fury is a stronger series. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the idea was more fully formed by that point. Right. And Conway had a better grasp of the characters that he wanted to play with. This original Firestorm series and Steel the Indestructible Man have a feeling of Marvel 60s, but done with a more, take this for the relative term it is, modern feel of the time. Mm-hmm. It was like Jerry Conway learned all the lessons that Stan Lee taught through making this shit up as he went along and he put that in firestorm and steel so i i really enjoy both both books on that level and any and if and if you're the type of person that looks at this firestorm costume and goes god those shoulders uh those shoulder things are stupid and those poofy sleeves are stupid yeah you have no soul <laughs> I think you said something similar last time around. Dude. Yeah, and I'll say it again. <laughs> Fuckers have no soul. That's all I'm saying. I mean, that, I mean, there's nothing need nothing need more to be said on that. So. You know, I, this is the first month. Not, I, I hope this doesn't sound too brag, uh, bragging, braggerish, whatever. Yes, but uh, this is the first month in a while where I don't have a lot of the the issues here and. I don't see a whole lot of covers I think are terribly dynamic. There's a couple, though. I love the cover to uh, World's Finest 252. That's oh, just... yeah. That's a really nice... Uh, that's a that's a Jim Aparo cover. Oh, yeah. I like Aparo's Superman. I always thought that he, uh, he did a very see, nice... See, it's not that I hate it. It's just I'm not a big fan of it. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Now, you said Kurt Swan rarely did a cover... Uh, in the uh, in the seventies, and you're absolutely right because the Superman is a Rick is a Rich Buckler mm-hmm. cover of, of people. Wa- Superman reveals his secret identity. So that was actually a good story. I've read that one. It was pretty cool. I don't think I've ever seen this cover to uh, Wonder Woman two forty six before, and that is hot, man. She's wearing a nightgown. She's sleeping. Ne- is she wearing a nightgown? She looks like she's sleeping naked to me. She might be. She's got the bracelets on, though. That's hot. That's really... Because she's got her bustier thing on the nightstand. I don't know, man. Like she just got in from fighting crime and wanted a nap. and I don't know. It looks to me like you're seeing her bare back right there. So I mean, she's, a, she's, she's from a freaking island of Amazons, dude. She sleeps nude, I'm telling you. I'm going to need a minute. <laughs> you, you take as much time as you want, my friend, Mel. 
I'll be here entertaining the folks. Hey, everybody, Mike Bailey here while Scott takes a Scotty break. Or I guess Little Scotty is what, <laughs> what that should be called. Oh, that's just wrong. Well, that's a Joe Staten cover, too. I didn't catch that before. That is an ugly-ass Russ Heath Mr. Miracle cover. Where Where is Up that? At the top. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't care for that one myself. I liked it better when Marshall Rogers was doing the Mr. Miracle covers. You know, and it occurs to me that with, with comic shops not really being prevalent in 1978, they were around, but they weren't around like they are today or how they would be, you know, going further into the 80s. But it would have been hard as fuck to buy all this shit, mm-hmm. all of it, in like one go. You probably would have had to, you know, we're going to be doing an episode of Views from Longbox soon where Scott, Chris Honeywell, and I talk about the the old days when you needed a bicycle in 15 drugstores to get all your books. Candy was a nickel. <laughs> beating your children was still socially acceptable. Oh, it's not? Yeah, you didn't get the memo? Uh oh. Alright, and wrapping this one up, this issue, All Star Comics number 73, is reprinted in Justice Society Volume 2 Trade Paperback from 2007. Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America.